Hello, this is Will Greenwood in for Vernon Kay, gallivanting over in the Super Bowl. I'm also northern but less attractive. I'm welcoming you to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Each week we'll take you behind the scenes with exclusive England rugby content. We're at England's training centre at Pennyhill Park in the aftermath of a win against Italy in the Six Nations. And I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by one of England's five try scorers in Rome. I was screaming for it, so um, he did tell me after that he was going to dummy and go and try to get his hat trick. Um, but he thought he'd better not, and uh, you know it was quite a nice uh, little moment for him to, to pop off over the shoulder and you know let me go in the corner. Yes, this week we get the inside line on Jack Knoll. The Rats tail a couple of years back probably was a bit of a bet. A lot of people would say, why have you got that? Well, the more and more people would say it's hideous. Get rid yeah. of it. Long God want to keep it. As well as our featured interview, Danny Kerr is the latest player to lay down his three tracks. I got to sing Never Forget, We'll Take That, which was to a sold-out Ota Arena, which uh, was pretty cool. And double try scoring wonder boy Anthony Watson answers fans' questions in From the Blue Room. As a young player, the toughest player I played against was was David Lemmy. Um, He's not the biggest or or necessarily the strongest, but his ability to change direction and stuff like that had me all over the place when I was sort of 16, 17, so... Um, yeah, I learned a lot from playing against him. I'm Will Greenwood, and this is the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Well, Jack, thanks for joining us. Before we get to the performance on Saturday, talk to me about standing in your underpants in a change room with Daniel Craig. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise, wasn't it, to see him in the change room after? You know, it's pretty cool. A little bit starstruck to see someone like that come in, but... Um, you know, it's quite nice for him to pop in and, you know, let's have a photo of him and just say well done for the game and, you know, how much he enjoyed watching us. So, uh, you know, it was a pretty cool moment. In terms of pretty cool moments, it was a pretty cool day for the extra Chiefs and the guys and individual performances one, yeah. within a collective effort. Yes, yeah, definitely. You know, just like Sam Simmons, you know, obviously everyone knows how well he played, but, um, you know, Alec Hepburn getting his first cap, Harry Williams playing and coming so, and doing so well off the bench. You know, it's quite special to have four. I think I think that's the most Chiefs we've ever had on the field at one stage. So, uh, you know, to get a win out there as well. And like we said, Sam Simmons, how well he played, picking up two tries and, you know, just showing what he's done all year for Chiefs and him showing that he can do it on the bigger stage as well. In terms of pre-calls, did you say I'm on your shoulder, lift it, looked up to sort of Tim Hoare and David Campesi 1991 World Cup in Dublin, that looked like? Nothing or just off the cuff? Off the cuff. I was screaming for it. So um, he did tell me after that he was going to dummy and go and try to get his hat trick. Um, but he thought he'd better not. And, uh, you know, it was quite a nice uh, little moment for him to, to pop off over the shoulder and, you know, let me go in the corner. When you when I watch you play, you look like just an extraordinary natural rugby player in and around floating. If we go back to your early rugby days, was it all always rugby 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 no far from it to be honest um when I was younger I didn't really used to enjoy rugby uh, my mum and dad used to take me down because they thought I would enjoy it um really didn't like it would probably stand by my mum and dad's legs crying for the first month or so of being down there just the fact they didn't want to join in I didn't want like, like anything new um, you shy or was it just the fear of change Probably the fear of change, to be honest. I wasn't a shy person, but I had a lot of energy as a kid, and that's the reason they thought, "Why well, let's try, let's try with a bit of rugby." But um, no, I think it was a couple of months in, decided to join in. Um, Where, which club are we at? at this I was, stage? I was down at the Penzance Newland Pirates. Yeah, um, with our coach Nicky Brooks, one of my best friends, uh, childhood friends as well. His dad, he took us along from. I think I was about sixteen when I stopped playing there. You know, he just made it very chilled out. It wasn't very serious for us. You know, he took us on tours to, to Italy and places like this with our family and all the boys and myself and Luke Cowan-Dickey. Yeah. Uh, we've played together since we were five in that team. So, uh, 
you know, he made it very chilled for us, very relaxed. And, uh, you know, we just enjoyed playing. And, you know, it wasn't until a couple of seasons in when I really did start enjoying it. And, yeah, I've never looked back since. And in terms of the next move, when you were 16, did someone spot you? Did they say, come along for an academy day? Where did you head to at 16? Um, I headed to Truro College. you dumped your original yeah. schoolboy mates and said, I'm <laughs> off for something better. Um, I headed up to Truro College. Again, not thinking that I was going to do rugby for a career. Uh, again, what, were you, what were you studying at Truro? I was just sport. I loved sport. I loved swimming. I loved, you know, typical all-round all sports. I loved everything. And I went into college playing rugby because that's what I played all my life. And, uh, yeah, I was 16 and I spoke to Exeter Chiefs and the, the club just got promoted to the Premiership or the year before they got promoted to the Premiership and said, look, we want you to come and have a, uh, a second team game against the Cornish All Blacks at the time, Launceston. Yeah. But I remember my mum and dad having to come along with me and signing a piece of paper to allow me to play for them because right. it was men's rugby at the time. Huge signing on fee. Huge signing on fee. Bucketfuls of cash <laughs> in a briefcase. A in the car on the way yeah, home, good. I think I got. Um, and then I played that game and then Exeter actually mentioned to me, you know, we think it would benefit you to play rugby from, for the men full time. Yeah. Um, and that's when they mentioned Red Roof to me and I, I had a few mates that played for them. Hellfire Corner. Hellfire Corner, Red yeah. Roof, my dad yeah. talks about the county final in 1963. <laughs> yeah. Winning in Red Roof is the greatest thing there. ever. Yeah, it's a very tough place to go. Um, is it that steep? He says there's Hellfire Corner. Is it literally a hill no, and you just get buried? It's, it's not, is he making it up? He's making it up. It's not that steep. He's having a male, man. <laughs> um, but I remember going down there and again, being 16 years old, playing with all these men and these men did it twice a week and played at the weekend and it was a proper proper sport and I was thinking... God, I'm in, I'm in the thick of it here. How old are you now? 17? I'm six, still 16. Yeah. Still having to get my mum and dad to sign a piece of paper to let me play. Yeah. And I played for them for a season whilst being at Truro College as well. I'm playing for Truro College. A few A-League games for, for Exeter because that's the year we got promoted. And uh, it wasn't until after after that season where Exeter kind of came to me and said, look, last year of college now, if you put your head down a bit and, and knuckle on, you you know, potentially could have a contract waiting for you at the end of it and you could come and play for us after. So... And even then... Were was, you studying for an actual degree or a BTEC or I was, I was, I was, a I was on a BTEC course, yeah. I was, in a, I was in a sports science course. And again, still not really knowing what I was going to do. Um, did you ever finish the course? I did finish the course. I actually finished the course at Exeter Chiefs in the, in the doctor's room. Right. Um, Robin Cowley, our academy manager, used to make me sit down in the doctor's room and finish my work before I got and train with the boys. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> he used to come and check up on me. You talk about being a sports nut, so I'm sort of doing the numbers in my head that you must have been born in the early 90s, something like that. 93, yeah. 93, so you're hitting seven or eight when I first started to remember sports. So 2001, 2002, who are your heroes? Name me your top three sporting icons growing up. Again, I didn't really watch a lot of sports. Probably the one person that does stick out to me is, is Jason Robinson when I was a kid. Yeah. Obviously, I used to watch a bit of rugby with my dad and I just remember him being on a TV host of Sports Sales Sharks. I used to play cribbage in this chair with Jason <laughs> yeah. Robinson, eh? And I remember I remember watching him as a kid and him, watching him play for Sales Sharks and just liking the way he played, just the fact that he could, you know, create something out of nothing and every single time he got his hands on the ball, everyone expected something to happen. Um, so as I was a kid, I was probably just watching him growing up, but other than that, it wasn't, it was more just the people I was playing with and just playing it for the fact that I, I loved playing it with, with my mates and it was a bit of fun, to be honest. Tell us about the influence of your, of your family on your development. I think, again, as, as you just saw looking at the maps, we are down the bottom end of the earth, as it feels. And my mum and dad used to drive me from Newlyn to Exeter, which is two and a half hours for like, and like my brother's doing at the moment, he's actually in the academy, but you drive up there two and a half hours for an hour long session. And then you drive home again. Yeah. And my mum and dad used to do that for me every single week, whether it was for a Cornwall trial, whether it was in Cornwall playing Devon, whether we were in Bristol for a Southwest England trial. And I remember my mum and dad drive me to do that. And 
again, my dad is not the biggest. He loves watching rugby and stuff like that, but we've never been the biggest fans of rugby. And, you know, for them to do that for me, to let me live my dream is obviously pretty pretty nice them to do that. And Because they came sort of from outside the top end of the rugby world, does that mean they went and sat there quietly and read their paper and allowed it to happen? Or were they in the coach's <laughs> ear or were they in your ear? Not from the coach's ear, not in, not in my ear, but... I think I could probably hit my mum, one of the ladies would sit back and watch. Well done, Jack, you've always played very well, you've done well. Whereas my dad, quite often you can hear him in the stand shouting, mm. quite often not agreeing with the referee. Mm. Um, but again, I always say, Dad, you don't know a lot about rugby, so he's probably is right at this stage at the moment. But, you know, after after I've played, whether I played badly, whether I played well, you know, it'd always be the same, it'd always be well done. On to the next thing, on to the next thing. And kind of that's how I've always pursued my career to be honest and do you remember a particular moment when you were injured where mum gave you a cuddle or dad picked you up or dad kept your feet on the ground when you started to take off to be honest they've always they are probably the people that if they keep me grounded the most every single time I go home you know you obviously get the first one or two questions about how's rugby how's your body but then other than that it's kind of swept under the rug and it's just as normal as if yeah. I've never been away as if we've always lived at home so I think it's it's probably yeah, down to them the way I am. I think due to injuries and things, like, I've been injured quite a bit. But again, my mum and dad are always in a position to help me. But, you know, yeah, it's definitely down to them the reason why I am and the reason why I find it so easy to switch off as well. Hi, I'm Nolly Waterman and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Available on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, TuneIn, Deezer and Google Play. We'll be back with Jack shortly, but time now to hear from another try scorer in England's 46-15 victory in Rome, man of the match, Anthony Watson, who joined Vernon Kay to answer fans' questions from the O2 Blue Room. Rick from Blackburn says, what's the fastest you've run 100 metres in? I haven't actually done it since I was about 15 or 16, um, and I ran 11-4, I think it was then, so... I don't know what I'd run it in now. I'd like to think I'd be able to run sub-11, but who knows? That's pretty good, though. Who's faster, you or your brother Marcus? See, I want to lie now and say I'm faster than him, but unfortunately, I think he'd beat me. Uh, we haven't actually had a race, but until then, I'll say we don't know, but I think he might beat me. Fair enough. All right, I get that. Ian from Twickenham. What football club do you support? I'm a gooner, mate. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, do you like any other sports? I do. Um, I like a lot of American sports. I like American football. I like basketball. Um, and then, yeah, I watch football and obviously support Arsenal. So those are the, the main three, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Another question from the room. Owen Bezik, who's the best, quickest winger you've played against? Um, I've played a lot, of, a lot of good wingers in my time, I guess. Um, you know, obviously my first start was against Brian Habana, who's obviously um, you know, a world-class winger. He's proven himself in, on every stage, really. So he's, he's probably got to be up there, but... I think for myself, you know, as a, as a young player, the toughest player I played against was, was David Lemmy. Um, he's not the biggest or, the, or necessarily the strongest, but his ability to change direction and stuff like that um, had me all over the place when I was sort of 16, 17. So, um, yeah, I learned a lot from playing against him. Now, we get a lot of young rugby fans uh, watching these interviews that we do on Autos Inside Line. How do you mark a player who you think is quicker than you? What, what do you do? Are there any techniques that you can use? Is there anything that you're taught? even at school level what, what, what sticks with you how do you mark someone quick with yeah, great feet it's very tough um, you know one of the keys is to try and shorten your foot stride down as you get closer to him um, but as you said it is very difficult because if you overchase, it makes it easy for them to step back inside um, and if they're faster than you and you don't chase hard then they're going to obviously take you on the outside and you're done so keys are really just to slow your foot stride down um, and try and stay square for as long as possible okay 
Louise Hiley, uh, favourite uh, way to relax after a game? What do you do? How do you relax? How do you chill out? Are you one for the ice bath? I hate it. Sometimes they force us to get in there, but we've got this cryo chamber outside of Twickenham, so that's probably even worse. You've got to sit in that for about two and a half minutes and it goes to minus, minus 130 degrees, um, which is just awful, mate. And you're just there in, in your pants, socks and a beanie and that's it. It's not great. That's probably the worst thing about it. But relaxing, I guess, I just like to chill out, spend time with my family, chat to the other players. Okay. It's, I think mentally as well as physically, it is draining to, to play 80 minutes of international rugby. You've got to be completely focused throughout. Um, so, you know, you just want to unwind and do as, as little as possible that's taxing, I guess. So um, for me, that's just chatting and, you know, having fun with my, my friends and family. If you are going to England against Wales this Saturday at Twickenham and you are an O2 customer, head to the West Car Park and the O2 Blue Room, flash your phone to the O2 Angel on the door and be greeted by a pre-match pie and pint, as well as being able to see some of the England team up close and personal. So back to my chat now with England's Jack Knoll, and after talking about his early life, we moved on to what he likes to get up to away from the rugby pitch. So take us back outside, Robbie, and uh, you're the shy little kid, you know, thrown in, you're playing with men, you get the papers but signed by mum, extra, <laughs> but away from that with your muckers, you've clearly got a tribe down in your neck of the woods. We have, yes. Yeah, so what do you do with your tribe? We used to spend a lot of time on the beach. I think huh. it's very hard not to be on the beach where we're from. Um, you know, we've got so many different coves and, um, you know, in the summer, that's literally what we used to do as kids. We'd all be down the beach. We'd spend every minute down the beach. Barbecues in the evening is a bit surreal that you could do that in England. Mm. But, um, you know, us being down there out of the way, that's the sort of thing we used to do. Mm. Um, again, it would be of all our, our rugby mates that we played with. We would go down, even in under 13s, 14s, we'd still do little pre-season trips down to the local beach with our, with our coach and things like that. So I just remember mostly being a beach fan when I spent a lot of time in the water. Yeah. Um, when we're at the beach or whether we're jumping off cliffs and doing silly things like that as you do co-steering as a kid and little things like that um but i just remember being very chilled out we used to walk around everywhere barefooted because that's just what sort of thing you do in the village down there and everybody knows everyone so uh it's pretty quiet to be honest so you talk about barefoot and pretty chilled is that where the sort of body ink and the hair has just been that's how we roll down there i'm not worried about what other people think because there used to be a time in rugby yeah. where it was like what's that young man doing to his hair <laughs> yeah. what is what is that thing on his arm oh, you can't, what do you mean he can't take it off i think i think exactly what you said is not about what other people think of you and it's not about what they think you should be doing or what you shouldn't be doing it's about we all know is what we want to be doing as people and as long as we're enjoying ourselves and you know doing everything we possibly can do on and off the field to make ourselves better uh, i think it, it's not it's not too it's not too important what other people think obviously everyone has their opinions and things like that and it's important to to respect that but you know for me i i know what i need to be able to do on the field and i know what it needs for the team and what i should be doing for the team and you know as long as the coaches are happy with me um i, th- I think that's the main thing that matters to me so if you switch off and relax and go back to you know talk to me about the hair and the way you've gone through it and the decisions or, or your favourite tap, but just about the aesthetics that is Jack Knoll. I just like being different. Right. To be honest. It was never a bet or anything no. like that. It was just... Um... Uh, the, rat, the rat's tail a couple of years back probably was a bit of a bet. A lot of people would say, why have you got that? Well, the more and more people would say it's hideous. Get rid yeah. of it. Long God, I want to keep it. And, yeah. And the less people started was speaking... Was it a bet, though? At the start, it was Luke Candy had his mullet. I had my rat's tail, and we kind of just kept growing him and growing him. Uh, he cut his off. I was silly enough to keep it, yeah. um, but in the end, nobody really wants 
it was just normal. So yeah. in the end, I was a bit like, right, we need to change. fresh it up. I've yeah. always believed you yeah. bleach your hair blonde, <laughs> give it a go, exactly. cut it all yeah. off, start again. It's pretty <laughs> simple. Mix it up a bit. But exactly. the cats don't. You can't just cut those off. No, they're, so they're they obviously make, uh, any particular ones have special meanings. I've got, I've got a few. I think a lot of them. I spend time sitting down with my tattooers, and when you're a rugby player, a lot of them you do when you're injured. Yeah. Um. So you obviously have a lot of time when you're off the field as well. So I spend a lot of time with my tattooers sitting down, working out what would look good, what would what would go well with me. Name um, check the tattooers. Who's this ledge? Matt Butler. He's recently yeah. just moved to Spain as well. Right. So he's. Uh, so do you have to go to Spain? I'm going to have to fly up to Spain, which is going to be a great shame to go up there for yeah. a couple of days, isn't yeah. it? Um. But he'll look after me when I'm out there. So it's it's a nice way to completely switch off as well when you're in there. We don't go on our phones. You literally just switch off and you just you just sat there talking mm. with him. So it's quite a nice experience to go through. Because when uh, Scott Quinnell takes his top off, he's literally just a, 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 a global map of a variety of different things going on. He, a particular one for him is yeah. his, his granddad was in the Royal Marines. Yeah. So is there are there, there family ones that you can share with us? Um, I've got a couple. I've got uh, a nice quote from my uncle on the inside of my, side of my arm. He's, he didn't make it, but he used to write down before he passed away a lot of things that meant meant a lot to him in his little book and I remember getting hold of it when I was a kid and keeping that. I like I like to get tattoos when I'm away in different countries as right. well. Um, Richard Cockrell's got Coventry Under 19's tour uh, from 1989, <laughs> which he did after a few videos. Is that the sort of tattoo you have? Maybe not a Coventry tour. No. But if I've been out to Australia, I've got I've got a couple of the, the kangaroos on my feet. Um, I've got a few different funny, jokey ones as well along the way. So you just got it's quite nice to look down and just remember where you were at that stage and what you've got. And, you know, it comes with all the stories that are behind it as well. You're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. And there's more from Jack to come shortly. But after last week's very, very, very worrying revelation that Dylan Harley is a believer, Vernon Kay was on the hunt for some more musical memories. All right, so we're here in the media room at Twickenham and we're with Danny Kerr and we're talking about music because, as we said previously, music is a great motivator. It inspires people, it gets people fired up. But we've asked you to choose three tunes and give us the reason why you've chosen. What's your first track, please, Danny? First one's Share the Shoop Shoop song. Bit weird, but for some reason when I was little... Now, let me stop you there. I know this is a podcast, okay, but visually, my hands have dwarfed my head... Okay, this is a big face plant. Yeah. Did, did you, know you just say song? share, shoot, shoot? Song. I did, and only because it. You're a professional my, rugby player, Dan. My first memory of being a kid is singing this. I knew every word and every word to the song. Can you remind us how it goes? Hugging, squeezing tight. That one, you know it, mate. Find out what you wanna know. All right, we get that it. One. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's number one. So um, that brings back memories of your youth as a kid. It does. It brings me back. It's a happy place back in these nice. and my mum, yeah. Nice. Good stuff. Next one. Uh, number two, I think I'll, I've chosen my first cap song, so when I first got capped for England, uh, I sung Lean On Me uh, by Al Green, so that was that's my karaoke tune if I, if I, if I, if I had to go to a, a song. So that's obviously quite a, a big one for me, making my first cap in New Zealand and then I had to sing that song. And then third and final one, I think not many people get to say they've sung with Take That and when your, your good self hosted the uh, the send-off dinner for the World Cup at the O2, we got a chance to go on stage and it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I, I think thought, you were first on, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I was, yeah. And uh, I thought, I'm going to grab a mic if I can. And, uh, <laughs> and Howard, Howard, fair play to him, he gave me the mic and I got to sing Never Forget with Take That, which was 
to a sold-out O2 Arena, which uh, was pretty cool. I think that's the first time you've been on a stage you've been taller than someone into. I think it was, mate, yeah. Dwarf Mark is Mark <laughs> next to me, yeah. But, uh, no, it was obviously an awesome experience and uh, to sing the take, that was pretty cool. It was nice when the lads took to the stage that night. It, it really well seen everyone in a really relaxed mood. It was, I felt like a rock star for a minute. So, uh, take that, it's your final track. Danny, yeah. thank you very much. Thank you, mate. All the best, Matt. Cheers, bro. Hi, this is Jonathan Joseph, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Subscribe on iTunes or at englandrugby.com. Yes, JJ, and if you haven't already listened to last week's podcast with England Centre, head to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. But now it's time for part three of our chat with Jack. So if we fast forward to, uh, back to the rugby and the top end rugby, just a, a quick line on how well things are going at Exeter Chiefs from a collective we're in a, a much better position than we were last year. Um, you know, obviously we don't speak too much about it, but obviously the final was 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 a massive thing for us. Probably taking it back to the year before where we actually lost the final, and we didn't realise how far we come as a club, and probably until the second half of the game where we actually started playing the way we played. You know, we met, we we messed around in that first half doing things we didn't normally do as a squad, but it wasn't until the second half of the season where we came through. I think we were eighth or something. Mm. And I remember Jeff Barlin actually... You started the season terribly. Awfully, yeah. And I remember Jeff Barlin actually sitting down and we were in a team meeting, just the players. And he literally said, look, I didn't sign for the Chiefs thinking that this was what we were about. I watched you last year in the final. I saw what you were about as a team and, you know, this isn't what we do. And he was dead right at the time. You know, that's that's what we weren't about as a, as a Chief. We weren't playing rugby we normally played. And I think from then we didn't lose a game until, until obviously, until this year now. Um... But it wasn't until that actual team talk where we did get our head down. We didn't we didn't change too much because we weren't playing bad. It's just little things um, where we weren't going out there to win the year. We're going out there to win each and every single game, and that's obviously a bit like what we do here. And it obviously worked very well for us. Um, and definitely this year in the final when we won it, you know, the year before there's a lot of boys sat on the bus videoing the fans walking in. Um, and you could kind of tell we weren't quite ready for that game. Whereas this year, you remember, I remember sitting on the bus. Everyone had their headphones on, and it was. We were never going to lose that game. Um, even even when we were in extra time, 90, 100 minutes of playing rugby and baking hot conditions, we were still dominant in that game. We were still in the Wasps 22. Uh, and there, was, there wasn't a disbelief that we weren't going to win that game. And we went and won it. And you went and won it. And in terms of the that feeling in Exeter, you, you clearly developed there. Are you as confident now in an England shirt as you are in an Exeter shirt? Definitely. As an individual? I, I think definitely as an individual. I think that's probably down mostly to the to the coaches here. You know, they always say you you don't need to change anything when you're in an English show. Obviously a different team, different phase, different moves and things like that. But the way me personally they want me to play is coming off my wing, playing off nines and tens, just get my hands on the ball as much as possible. Not playing as a winger, but just playing as a general rugby player on the field. And obviously at the weekend when I came on, um message came down from Eddie and said, right, just go on the field, get your hands on the ball. I don't care where you are on the field, just get your hands on the ball. And to hear that coming from the boss is, mm. gives you the green light to go off and just do what you normally do. So Jack, you won your 24th cap uh, on the weekend against Italy. You've now scored 12 tries. There must be a particular favourite. My favourite, obviously your, your first try is always is always there. Um, obviously Italy away, Mike Brown set me off off of a midfield scrum. I felt relieved, if anything. I was a winger that hadn't scored yet. For that was our fifth game as well. But um, you know, I kind of don't, I don't back myself on the amount of tries I score or the amount of the amount of meters I run in a game. You know, for me, it's all about involvement. And you know, I want to 
get my hands on the ball as much as possible. And, you know, it's all, quite often a lot of the unseen work I like I like doing. I like getting my head stuck in. I like rucking. I like tackling. So uh, that's one that would always stick into my mind. One against Scotland, I think, two years ago. Um, obviously, Eddie just in charge for Scotland first game. It was nice to get over the over the line then. Um, on the sticks, I'll probably I'll tell you your first try. You know, you can never ever forget your first England try in an England shirt. So yeah, I'll definitely say Italy away. And before we sort of go full circle and end up back in your underpants and Daniel Craig, <laughs> there was a team meeting. Uh, what's the view? The collective? What's uh, Chris Robshaw, Dylan Hartley? What are they talking about? In terms, is that just job done? Focus on the next, or is there a particular theme running through this year's Six Nations? I think that's exactly it. Job done. Italy's done. We we finished that. We did our review this morning. It's all about our next game. It's all about Wales now, and that's all we're speaking about. We want to go out with a bang again. Um, carry on playing. Obviously, take the positives from them. But it's a new game, fresh start, uh, and we go again this week. Brilliant. I've got about 10 quick-fire questions to fire through. One-word answers. OK, ready for it. What's your favourite meal and which fantasy dinner guest would you like to share it with? Anandos. Wow. Really? Probably. Yeah. Um, Elvis Presley. Yeah. Shakira. OK, if you could only hear one music track ever again, what would it be? I would like to go to an Aerosmith concert. Oh, but I could Any I could lay <laughs> yeah. awake. Just it. That was my wife. Uh, we wedding song, one of those. What profession other than yours would you like to attempt? I'd like to be a professional surfer. I'd give that a go. Therefore, your favourite place on earth is probably somewhere near the coast. Which one? Cornwall. Uh, who would play you in a movie? Daniel Craig. <laughs> what? Good, nice. Back on him again. What? What are you bad at? Oh, what am I bad at? Probably singing. Scared of? Spiders, snakes, flying, turbulence. Have you seen, seen Lego Batman? He goes I have uh, seen snakes, Lego. clowns, snake clowns. <laughs> they're, they're, everyone's afraid of snake clowns. And finally. Uh, who's the most famous person you have in your phone? Luke Cowan Dickey. Ledge. Appreciate your time, Jack. Thank you very, very much, very mate. Cheers, Bug. My thanks to England's Jack Noel and loads to come next week, including Ben Teo and his best present ever. That's an easy one. Uh, I think it was back in 1996. It was the Jonah Lomba Rugby PlayStation game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that for me, I mean, that's my childhood. That's my childhood, that game. So... Me and my brother played that a lot. You've been listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Don't forget to check out the official England Rugby Facebook page for more content. And if you've got time, head to our iTunes page to review this podcast and help us climb those rankings. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a joy to step in for Vernon. See you next week.